imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Happy January and welcome to a brand spanking new Imposing Grandeur radio series. Today we will be introducing our series on the fruits of the Spirit and what it looks like for us to apply these fruits to our Christian walks and daily lives. We know that our theology and study of God is not just a noun but also a verb and we're called to apply what we know and learn through scripture to our lives. We're called to live out our faith and saying and knowing is a lot different than acting and doing. Our fruits are evidence of God's work in our lives, and as we see in Galatians 5, we see that our fruits of the Spirit are evidence of God's work in our lives, and in Galatians 5, we see what those are, and I'm sure you've heard of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we become believers, the Spirit starts working in us and producing spirit fruit in us to magnify Him. And as we see in Galatians 5.22, the fruit is singular but represents nine characteristics. When we see these characteristics in our lives, we see His mark on us. Do you see those characteristics in your life? And if we want to know if we are in step with the Spirit, we should be examining our lives and hearts to see, see if these are present. We're going to take the next nine weeks to walk through each of these and see how we can apply them to our lives. Pray for strength to cling to Christ as we do so, while also trusting the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to produce these fruits. Today, we are starting off with our very first week, which will be on love. Yes, super pumped about this series. And I think what you're saying, Avery, there's now an appropriate shift from orthodoxy, so the right belief, and what we know is true. So in our case, scripture, the attributes of God, what we were just talking about, to now orthopraxy. So not just affirming these theological truths, but having the desire and willingness to live by it. So in short, right belief, orthodoxy, is to show itself in right practice, orthopraxy. Some easy ways to remember, doxy equals doctrine, praxy equals practice. Um, so it is no, not only appropriate that we make this shift of looking not to just study theological truths and dig deeper into the character of God, but to make the application more personal. And of course, within each episode, we have some sort of application, but these episodes on the fruit of the Spirit should contain an even deeper internal inventory check. I mean, after all, like Avery was saying, these fruits that we will be talking about are the evidence of a life in which the Spirit of God is living. Not only that, but Jesus also implied that the character of a life can be determined by their fruit. So this is not only crucial for every follower of Christ to know and understand for themselves, but it is also important for us to know as we discern the right teachers to listen to who claim to be followers of Christ but may not act in accordance to what we are told a follower of Christ is to act like. And even though Jesus did prohibit censorious criticism of others by his followers, like in Matthew 7-1, he did encourage fruit inspection. So in order to inspect fruit, we must understand and study what exactly the fruit is and looks like. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. I think this is something, if you grew up in a church, these are things that we learned from a very young age. They can seem super simple, but these are things that we should be seeing in our lives. We should be applying these things, and it is evidence in the signature of Christ in our lives. So it's really important to know how um, God works in us and through us and also how to apply these things to our lives. So as we know, love can mean a lot of different things, such as phileo, agape, etc. What does the love in the context of the fruits of the Spirit mean? So I thought this was really interesting because I knew there were different types of love, but I was not 100% sure uh, past agape and phileo. I was didn't really know much after that. Which, fun fact, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love named after phileo. But phileo Sliding does not in mean... There. Yes. What even is agape and phileo love, Annie? Can you enlighten us? For the viewers or the listeners yes. who don't even know. So it's funny because um, phileo actually doesn't mean brotherly love. That's probably more appropriate for Interesting. agape. It means... so. I'll get into that in a second. But um, the word agape actually is likened a lot to a brotherly love, but it's it goes deeper than that. It's not how, oh, I love my brother, kind of conditional upon how he acts. It's this unconditional servant-like love to where you are willing to lay down your life. Because the context that this word is often used in throughout the New Testament is in reference to Christ laying down his life or Jesus saying, if you love somebody, true love is laying down your life for somebody. And then 1 Corinthians 13, everybody knows that, love is patient, love is kind. It's not self-serving. It is completely self-sacrificing love. Um, And that is the most used form of love in the New Testament. And um, the other types of love, which phileo, it means like a friendship. So A-team, I would say... We try to mirror agape love, but we have a phileo love as well. There is eros type of love, which is like a sexual love. And then store, I don't know how to pronounce it, storge, storge, I don't know. That's a familial love. So how you might, a mother might love her child. Hmm. But um, the phileo and agape, I believe, are the only two used in the New Testament. But agape is the type referenced in Galatians 5.22. So that's self-sacrificing love. And Jesus even talks about it by saying, like, it's easy to love somebody that loves you, but it's hard to love those who don't love you. So I thought that really paints a perfect picture of this type of love. Is it's It has nothing to do with getting anything out of it for yourself because you're supposed to love with agape love even those who don't love you which is very hard to do. And like you both referenced at the beginning, it's important to note that the type of love we are to emulate that is from the Spirit, it's a characteristic from God. God is the perfect love. God is this perfect agape love. And when it talks about God loving us, for God so loved the world, that's agape. And we're never going to perfectly emulate that, but that is who we are striving to be or to be like. And um, it is important to remember coming off the heels of our Characteristics of God series that we remember ultimately we are trying to emulate godliness and righteousness. And um, yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. But the key to remember when we talk about love is it's self-sacrificing. 
that's the difference mm-hmm. between it and all the other loves. I love that, Annie. That was so eye-opening for me. And it reminded me of um, John 13, 34 through 35, which kind of was my theme verse around researching this fruit of the Spirit, which is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so love should be a distinguishing mark of us as being his disciples. And something that I I think is just humbling because everything that we do, whether it's social media and or loving somebody in person or loving someone from afar, if we don't have this um, love present and evident in someone's life, in our lives as we're dealing with other people, then that should be a huge red flag for where our heart is at. And um, I mean, when you think about the people that are closest to you, like your family or your spouse or your best friends, like uh, all three of us, we've grown up together and we've seen the worst of each other and we've also seen the best of each other. Um, And when I think to how I treat those that are closest to me, sometimes when I'm angry or upset or frustrated or irritated, I'm not always loving. And I think it's a lot more easy, like you're saying, Annie, to love those that are easy to love. And often the people around me that are hard to love, or especially now in this current political climate, those on social media that drive you insane that you don't want to love, it's so easy to arbor bitterness and hatred towards those people. And that's not what God calls us to do. We're not supposed to only love those around us that are easy to love and base our fruit of the spirit of love off of those people that are easy to love. Um, so anyway, as I was researching this, um, I really want to do better this year at loving those around me that are really hard to love. Yeah, that was very humbling, I think, to hear, because I think we've all experienced in some way, um, just what you're saying, Avery, like seeing our brothers and sisters fighting on social media with this political climate and just seeing the not so pretty sides two people that we normally see on social media. I mean, we're starting to see different people act certain ways and making it harder for us to love them. But I think, like both of y'all are saying, love gets so much more harder to do when you boil it down to what it really is. And that is, it is a verb. So it is an outgoing, self-giving kind of action, not necessarily an emotion. And that characterized God himself when he loved the world so much, as we see in John 3.16. I mean, we've had this verse written on the tablets of our hearts since elementary school, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there's this action to prove the love. And so for us, we it's so much easier, I mean, like to say things like, oh, I love you, I love you. But to prove that I love you, that essence of what actual love really is, it's you really put the money where your mouth is, you know, actions speak louder than words. Are you actually loving people? Are you doing stuff out of that love? Because you cannot love and not have actions paired with it. Yes. Amen. And two things that I wanted to say going off of what you both said is, uh, I once heard this, I think it was in a Rick Thomas counseling podcast. He was saying the Bible never mentions annoyance. Being annoyed with somebody does not exist in scripture. What annoyance actually is, is hatred. And so that to me just opened my heart completely up to, wow, I really struggled to love people because my heart is filled with hatred. 
about how much I am annoyed with people. And I've just disguised my sin as this cutesy little, oh, that's just annoying when it's really, it's, I hate, like I hate. And so um, just like you were saying, Avery and Alexa, you too, it's a verb. It is a conscious thing that you work on. It's not just a passive feeling that comes and goes. You have to hold your heart accountable. And that was the other thing I wanted to say is we're imitating God who perfectly demonstrates this. That is the highest standard of love. Um, and we're going to fail. And this is not a series about legalism saying you have to do this or you're not a Christian. And if you struggle to love, you're not a Christian. We know that's not true. Paul in Romans 7 says, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. You're going to struggle with this, these uh, examining these fruits of the Spirit the rest of your life. But there's forgiveness there and there's grace. But if you never have any of the fruits of the Spirit in your life and you not seeking out grace and you're not seeking out forgiveness for that lack of fruit, that's a problem. But we can't separate our study of the fruits without a major spotlight on the gospel itself or it becomes legalism and meaningless. Mm, yep. Um, moving on to our next question. Um, what do you guys, you guys think about if love or any of these attributes are fruits of this Holy Spirit and the Spirit dwells only in believers? Does that mean a non-Christian is incapable of love? This is a great question. And I feel like a lot of people, when they really study the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, you're going to get to a point to where you think, wait, but that person that I work with, they emulate love. They emulate self-control. Like, you know, it's it's something that we come into contact, whether now or in the future. But um, I think the emphasis is that the Spirit enables us to produce fruit. So it's important to note, like Annie said, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is a result of divine activity and not human effort. I love how the Bible expositional commentary dissects this concept. It stresses this contrast between works and fruit, meaning a machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it can never manufacture a fruit. Fruit must grow out of life, and in that case of the believer, it is the life of the Spirit. And when you think of works, you think of effort, strain, labor, toil. But when you think of fruit, you think of beauty, quietness, and the unfolding of life. So the flesh produces dead works, like we see in Hebrew 9.14. But the spirit produces living fruit. And this fruit has in it the seed for still more fruit, like Genesis 1.11. Love begets more love. Joy helps to produce more joy. The old nature cannot produce fruit, meaning who we were before Christ and non-believers today alike, only the new nature through the power of the Holy Spirit can produce fruit. And it's important to consider how unbelievers can produce good works. I mean, that person that you work with, how is it that they're able to love people? How is it that they're able to be self-controlled? And I mean, when we take a step back and dwell on total depravity for a second, yes, our world is broken and suffering because of our sin and turning away from God. But wow, there is so much grace from God being bestowed upon humanity. And like we talked about in our God is Gracious episode, God gives common grace to everybody, believers and non, thus making it common. So although people may do good works apart from having the Spirit dwelling in them, they are not doing those good works apart from God's grace enabling them to do so. I mean, I think of Psalm 16 when it says, I have no good apart from you. So apart from God, we have nothing good about ourselves. We are totally depraved. Every good and perfect thing comes from above, like it says in James 1.17. So the next time you see a non-believer doing loving things, 
it is not in and of themselves in which they're they obtain that ability to do so. It is only by God's common grace to them in their own life. And how beautiful is it that we serve a God whose very nature is love and that in and of itself is exhibited in the outflow of his love towards those who reject him. I mean, it's truly a concept in which we finite beings cannot grasp or comprehend for ourselves, but such a beautiful concept nonetheless of we are not living in a world that is so utterly dark, but rather we have his common grace flooding even those who reject him. It's beautiful, Alexa. I love that. Um, I found this quote, too, about the difference between worldly love and godly love. And I don't know the name of the author, so I'm sorry if the author's listening. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I loved this because I think it laid out the difference between how someone who's an unbeliever can have a definition of love like we see in love songs or romance novels or just the way a non-believer can love its child. Um, they can understand what love is as far as a worldly love goes, because if you define love as a concern for well-being, a powerful affection or a sacrificial action, then yes, unbelievers can love, quote unquote. But what is the standard we're using to make this assertion? I argue there is a human definition and a biblical definition for love. You see, I failed to define the difference between worldly love and Christ-like love that we see in 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you look closely, you'll see this verse is saying that knowing God is the basis for how you love someone else. If you know God, you'll love your neighbor. But what standard do we use to measure whether we have loved someone or not? The standard of all love is God. It begins and ends with him. Romans 11, 31 through 33. So there's a way for unbelievers to listen to a love song and be like, oh, yeah, I do love so-and-so. And I totally know what that means because God has given us, like Alexa was saying, given unbelievers common grace. He's given us emotions and the ability to love and feel passion in that reaction to loving somebody. But our standard as Christians and believers is that we have a biblical godly love because we know that God is love. Yep. And um, I think, too, it ties into the heart. It's this ultimately these fruits of the spirit are a matter of the heart. And what I mean by that is it's not works based again. It's about honoring and pleasing God. And Romans 8 says non-believers cannot please God. So like you both said, they can love. I mean, heck, I know some of the kindest people, the most patient people, they're not Christians. And it's very humbling to me. But then I remember they're doing it just out of self-serving for whatever reason, it is ultimately self-serving unto themselves. And as a Christian, when we exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, it is to honor God. And Romans 8 just, um, I think, paints this really cool and beautiful contrast of being in the flesh and being in the Spirit. And it just talks about how the Spirit brings life, like you both hinted at, and how we can honor God through that and grow in our faith and our good works. But when you're in the flesh, the flesh cannot produce godly traits. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this, the short answer is no. No, the non-Christian cannot exhibit the fruits of the Spirit in the way that a Christian can. It might look that way on the outside, but the heart of the matter is they're very different. 
But a cool thing is when you see a non-believer, um, I don't know, let's say very self-controlled, you can say, wow, you have really great self-control or wow, you are so loving to people that are um, not nice to you or whatever and point them back to Christ and say, do you know that you're that way because God has gifted you with that? That is a gift from God. I see God, like God has bestowed so much grace on you and start a gospel conversation with them and share with them that the way they're able to act that way is because God has been gracious to them. Don't let that opportunity go to waste. Right. And Annie, I think like what you were saying, just stressing again, it is a result of divine activity, not human effort. Um, And that kind of being the summation of everything that we've really talked about. Um, But I was thinking even, Annie, as you were talking about like how it's, it's a heart issue. It really is. And I think about just like me walking into a coffee shop and somebody who isn't a believer holding the door open for me. You know, why would they do that? Um, It might be on the surface, oh, wow, you're just a really kind person and very loving, you know, just from that one action, because love is an action like what you're talking about. So you are exhibiting your love by doing an action of holding the door open for me. But at the end of the day, it's like, why did you do that? Oh, well, it made me feel good to help somebody. Or it made me like I wanted to look good in front of all these people. Or I wanted to look good in your eyes by holding the door open for you. Or I I felt like if I I didn't do that... I would just be seen by everybody as rude, you know, and maybe they did that because they they want to help people because it makes them feel good. Because, I mean, when we love people, we're, we're believers. It makes us feel good, but it makes us feel good because we know we're honoring and serving the Lord. So it is a heart issue. It's where at the end of the day, what is your object of serving? What like who are you serving? What is the the goal? Who are you trying to imitate or replicate? and reflect to others. So, um, yes, result of divine activity, not of your own personal human effort. Yes. And often I look at my own heart and sometimes I'm convicted of having those selfish desires for loving somebody just like an unbeliever would. Like often I'm like, wow, I totally Mm. did that out of selfish gain. And that's when it's like, I have no excuse. I know God. I know what God what love is. And I know how I should be loving others, not because of anything that I have done, but because of who God is and what he calls us to be as disciples. And that's when we have to really cling to the Lord and pray that God would give us daily things that we can do to reflect him and magnify him, not out of, you know, just wanting to look good, but because we know that God wants to work through us and in us and Um, He wants to be glorified in what we are doing. And to remember that, you know, we can't get to this point where we're like, oh, I don't need God anymore. Like, I'm just such a, you know, strong believer that I can love others on my own strength. It's like, no, we need to be daily asking God to be our strength and to cling to him as we are loving and interacting with other people. Right. Um, So moving on to y'all have touched on it a little bit, but how does this particular fruit of the spirit radically change the life? interactions and ultimately the the desires of the believer. I mean, we I really feel like we have touched on this. It's uh an outflow of the gospel and it changes everything because like we said at the very beginning, this type of love is entirely self-sacrificing. It has nothing to do with you gaining at all. 
And, um, I mean, you gain becoming more like Christ, but, I mean, in a materialistic sense, it has nothing to do necessarily with that. But that's not the world we live in. Even, I mean, I hate to say it, but non-believers and believers alike, we see this all the time. Oh, they're not worth my love, or I'm annoyed with them. It's easy to love until they become hard to love. And especially right now, that is the mantra of our society, is there is no forgiveness and no love for those who do do wrong. And um, that is where the church or believers should be shining so brightly to understand that God in his agape love chose to save us and love us despite how ugly and disgusting our hearts are. And even when we still act this way, he still loves us. And so we should be emulating that to the world, that our love is unconditional towards you because you have the imago day. You are in the image of God and God loved me. So I will love you. And I just like, wow, if we could, I mean, it's so much easier to sit here and say that when it becomes in practice, it becomes really hard because it doesn't feel great. It, it is self-sacrificing. You will not feel great when you love the person that literally hates you and, or won't forgive you. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just whole essence is so countercultural and otherworldly. Amen. That's so true. Um, I found a quote from Desiring God that I really loved um, about love and this for the spirit in particular that said, when God pours his love into our hearts through the spirit, Romans 5, 5, our posture changes. Our love no longer depends on finding something lovely, having felt the love of Christ, Galatians 2, 20. We carry love with us wherever we go. Such love compels, compels us to labor for the good of our brothers and sisters, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, to patiently bear with people we find vexing, as Annie was alluding to, Ephesians 4, 2, and to care more about our brother's spiritual welfare than our own spiritual freedom, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. No matter our position in the community, we gladly, we gladly consider ourselves as servants, Galatians 5, 13. And are learning to ask not who will meet my needs today, but rather whose needs can I meet today? Better by far to carry even an ounce of this love in our hearts than to enjoy all the world's wealth, comforts, or acclaim. For on the day when everything else passes away, love will remain. First Corinthians thirteen seven through eight. That's awesome, um, and I love how we're. Um, constantly going back to the whole entirety of the gospel while talking about this one fruit of the Spirit, because it's so beautiful how it it is made possible through the gospel, and it is an illustration of the gospel. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wait, how is this even made possible? Like, what does the gospel have to do with us being able to love people? So in the New Testament, when Jesus went away, he sent the Spirit, um, which is referred to as the Advocate. So now it is not just Jesus operating in one place at one time, but the Spirit operating at all places and at all times. And we read in Scripture about the one God consisting of a loving relationship between the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so the Spirit thus draws people to experience for themselves the love of the Father and of the Son. Like Avery, Avery was talking about, you get to experience that love for yourself. Um the Spirit also empowers Jesus' followers, so us, if you're listening and you're a follower of Jesus, it empowers us to carry out his mission. 
Um, So where the Old Testament law is meant to act as a magnifying glass that focuses on the problem of sin, Jesus has paid for and dealt with all of that sin once and for all through his death and resurrection. So we are no longer entrapped by our sin and prohibited by our sinful nature, but rather we're set free and are capable of living holy lives unto the Lord. So for those who place their faith in Jesus, our hearts are transformed. We can truly live and fulfill the call of all the Torah commands, which is to love God and our neighbor. And we're able to commit acts of loving service and bear witness to the truth. And this does not mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we've been set free from our bondage. And this renewal of human beings in which God has done and is continuing to do till this day, this is only the first step in his larger mission to rescue and restore all of creation. Um, So the fruit of the Spirit leads to believers becoming Christ-like, and the gifts of the Spirit begins this lifelong process. It's not so much that you become a believer and then automatically you're exhibiting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, it's it's a lifelong process, as we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's it's this progressional sanctification. And if you if you, those words even like sanctification, justification, sound unfamiliar to you, go back and listen to um, our God is Just episode. I believe we touch upon it in that. But it is a sanctification process of being transformed from one degree of holiness to the next. So yeah, I I just want to touch on that. Like, how is it that this is even? Like, why is the gospel so important while talking about the fruits of the Spirit? Well, it's so important because it makes the fruit of the Spirit even a thing to be able to be obtained, and it emulates the gospel. I mean, we are able to love people like Christ has loved us, and we could not do that otherwise. So good, Alexa. I loved that. And that was a great ending to wrap up this awesome first episode of our new series. Um, Before we end, um, it is now time for our IG hot seat. So I wanted our IG hot seat question to kind of relay back to our topic today. Now, this love that I'm talking about in this question has nothing to do really with what we talked about because it's different. But what is something you love that other people may think is weird? This is not really an agape love of something. (laughs) I agape Oreos. (laughs) (laughs) It's just something you love or maybe you're passionate about or you think is cool and other people might label that as odd or weird oh wow i have two things that come to my mind but okay annie you go first just say what's on your heart annie (laughs) um i mean i've touched on this before but i used to really love mixing baked beans with mac and cheese that was just (laughs) weird That was a love of mine. Um, But the one that I don't think I actually might have touched on this, too, because I remember jokes being made about it. But uh, I really love this children's radio show called Adventures in Odyssey. And I collect them. Yes. Um, We weren't um, joking about that. We were just talking about you naming Eugene that. Yes, that's okay. That's why we were. I fully support that love, Annie. I fully support it. Well, that's because y'all are my my sisters in Christ, but, um, <laughs> uh, other people might think that's kind of weird that you still listen to something so much that children listen to, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely agape adventures in Odyssey. Just kidding. I don't, but 
That's a good answer. Alexa, did you think of anything? I mean, the only thing that really stands out in my mind is me being at Bible college and talking about how much I love the genealogies that we were learning in class because it was so interesting to me because it always pointed us back to Christ and set that foundation for the coming of the Messiah. And I just remember like... And this might be, like, sad to talk about, but, like, I remember men, like, grown men looking at me in my eyes when I'm, like, beaming, talking about the genealogies, and then looking, and one guy actually, like, looked at me and was like, what is wrong with you? Like, and I remember being, like, (laughs) but I remember being, like, nothing. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you not think this is cool? But that's just something that stands out to me. Like, I love that, and, like, that's not something that I guess everybody loves, but also, I feel like, if you're a follower of Christ, like, that should be somewhat intriguing to you. Like, it's paving the way for the coming Messiah. But anyway, um, so that just stood out to my mind. But then also just, like, theology in general. Like, I rem- like I just really enjoy studying it. And I think, I guess, to fellow believers, well, I don't know, because I'm saying that, but I had, like, believers at my Bible college look at me like I had three heads. And, like, they were just like, that's just so interesting that you love theology that much. And I'm like... Who wouldn't love studying their creator? Like, I just, I couldn't get that, like, the disconnect there. But those two things, genealogies and, like, theology, are things that I just really just enjoy. And I've gotten so many weird faces as a result of me just, like, talking about it from people that are followers of Christ. And I'm sure it would be even strange for non-believers alike. But anyway... But if you're listening to this, I know if you're listening (laughs) to this (laughs) and you have a friend who loves theology and genealogies or whatever, I mean, maybe I'm your friend. (laughs) Don't (laughs) don't look at them like they have crabs coming out of their ears. Like, those are interesting things. (laughs) But that's the thing that that's not weird. I know. But I think also, too, like the guys who did look at me like that were just really just immature and you know who you are (laughs) (laughs) if you want names dm me i'm just kidding (laughs) no actually when i thought about this question i thought about your response being when you were talking about genealogies and guys really weird i like literally was like i wonder if this will be her answer because yes I remember that, but also that shouldn't be the response of any godly man, but I know. it's okay. It's so sad. And it explains why I'm single, honestly. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I will know the one when I'm talking about genealogies and they're like, Alexa, this is something that I love that people always thought I was weird. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if there's any guys out there listening right now and you love yeah. genealogies. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If there's any... DMs. yeah just dm me like hey you know matthew's begats in the new testament (laughs) let's talk about that (laughs) no i'm kidding um but yeah i don't know like i'm sure there's so many other things that i've loved but that stands out as something that i love that i've expressed in loving that i've gotten like just bad reactions (laughs) about and i think it stands out because i was not expecting that reaction you know but anyway I'm over it. As you can tell, I'm completely over it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Avery, what about you? Um, I think the one that sticks out, I mean, I'm sure if I sat longer on it, which I didn't really when I thought of this question, should have thought about my answer ahead of time, but did not. I think I have always had a fascination or fascination, not fascination. For naming things and names and what you do. I just think it's so cool. And even in scripture, like things that God 
gives names to and you like figure out later in your study Bible what it means and it like clicks and it's just beautiful the way God ties the story together with those names and I don't I don't know I think names are just so purposeful and they can be hilarious and funny and then they can be so deep and really cool like a child's name and then like a funny dog name like Eugene is the best name for him because it has to do with Annie's love for adventures and odyssey I don't know. I just always have loved names and I have had family members that are like, why do you care so much? And I'm like, I just care. I like naming my cars. I like naming my plants. I you just do. Think it's cool. And it's not only that you're good at naming things, but also names I have found with you stick. Like you can remember somebody's name so well. And that's always something that I feel like you've been able to do. <laughs> and maybe it's because it does just like stand out to you. But, like, I remember even when we went to college together, like, you just knew names. And I'm like, I forget what I had for dinner last night. But, like, you're over here like, yeah, Haley from fourth grade is over here doing, like, you know, like, you're just really good at that. I, I think the Lord has truly blessed you. And I'm going to come to you when I have Thank kids because you. you have all the names, like, archived in your brain. <laughs> but, well, Avery, thanks. even I while you were talking, it. even while you were talking, I remembered something that. I love, and I feel like y'all share this passion with me, maybe not as strongly, but like Amish culture, like, isn't that oh, something? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating. If you're Amish and you're listening to this, Amish culture is so incredibly fascinating to me. And like, if somebody's talking with me in a conversation and they mention like the Amish or whatever, I like, like my eyes are fixed on them. And I'm like, do you study Amish culture? Like, let's have a conversation. <laughs> But anyway, that was something that many a nights. I actually follow some Mennonites on YouTube and I'm so intrigued by them because yeah. you know they can have they can have technology. So they oh, YouTube- well, like uh <laughs> Yeah, they're like Amish, but I don't know. If you're listening to this and you're a Mennonite and I'm butchering this, I'm sorry, but reach out to us and tell us the differences. But they have very similar views to Amish, but they can have like cars and technology and yes. other things. It's just overall extremely fascinating to me and I don't know why like I, ju- I just think I'm just intrigued with like how they do life and their culture and like <laughs> everything that goes on in there because I think there's so much mystery because we're not in the culture so we just wonder you know and yeah. so we're watching documentaries like Breaking Amish <laughs> like we're trying to gain some information on their society but even that Alexa. is dramatized yeah sir are you gonna go Amish I don't is know I should be a missionary to the Amish I feel like I would die. Like they, I feel like I would get to the community and they'd be like, all right, now make your own butter. And I feel like I can't do this life. <laughs> like I just, I admire so strongly though how they live life. Like they make everything. And I and their food is, I mean, notoriously amazing. But anyway, we are getting way this off topic. topic is becoming about the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably offending them too. I know. <laughs> They're like, like, you think like, all we do is make butter? <laughs> They'd be like, where's your butter? Alrighty. So now that you know all of that about us and we have studied love, join us next week or next time podcast comes out, we will be studying joy and um, look forward to the next few weeks of the Fruit of the Spirit series. We're excited to be studying with you guys and we thank you for listening and we hope to see you soon. Bye.